episode 293 of the Global From Asia podcast. This is a fun one, chatting, trying to lighten things up with the whole crazy coronavirus, talking about the old days in China, some of the some of the adventures and stories of a friend of mine with his new book and Wild Wild East Stories. Welcome to the Global From Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight up actionable advice. And now your host, Michael Michelini. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Just had a friend, just had a call with a friend of mine in China, Chinese friend, Chinese seller, Wilson Blues. May as well put him out there, and he's just stuck at home, just uh, saying that all of China's like basically just sitting at home. And I'm recording this right before Valentine's Day on February thirteenth, twenty twenty, and we're just not sure. You know, Cameron Cameron Walker we had last week, we put him up. In, ahead of the schedule because we're just thinking hey this coronavirus might go away and we don't want to talk about it in an interview when this stuff's over but it still seems to be going and uh i was asking wilson about the factories and he says they're not really allowed to be open still and things are still kind of sitting and waiting so and then my wife chatting to her a little bit you know daily we chats honestly i have to be honest i was looking at my flights i was checking flights sending her screenshots on WeChat of some flight options. And I think, you know, she's like, just stay where you're at. I mean, doing some stuff with Alpha Rock. Actually, we're rebranding Virtuous Graphics into Prime Label Studios, a new studio center. If you watch my vlog, you might see some of the images. We'll probably have to get an interview with that story. That, that's been intense, really intense. been really, really intense here last month working uh, with uh, Alpha Rock and relaunching this photo video studio for the Amazon sellers, but it's just been an intense, really intense. I don't know. I've never been really so challenged. My wife says they're even, they don't go to, her dad used to go to the market to get food. Now they're just ordering everything online. They say they got about a week's worth of food at home. Just doing video calls. My wife and kids and aunts and grandparents all jammed into a two, two, two different two bedroom apartments. But, uh, Anyway, I'll keep you guys updated each week of that. This week's show is a fun one. Try to lighten up the whole situation here. But basically, um, Devin, really good friend of mine, um, we worked together and he did some amazing things. Um, he's been he speaks Cantonese, Mandarin really well. He's he's so uh, well versed in different parts of China and Hong Kong, and he's back in the u.s right now and he was writing a book and i'm hoping to help him out here you know i i've backed his book online in a crowd crowdsourcing platform forget the name there but we'll link it up of course on the show notes and he takes some of the some of the parts of the book he's working on and we had some fun just talking about good old times and this crazy adventures in china before this virus and hopefully the virus goes away and hopefully these stories will keep happening because right now I think most people are not enjoying these uh, wild stories. So you can get a little preview of some of that. And he also gives you some insights about his road trips and things he saw as and Jewish people in China. And I hope you appreciate and enjoy this. Thanks, Devin, for sharing. And let's tune in. Are you looking for something to do in November? cross-border summit fifth annual we're bringing it down to chiang mai thailand november 19th and 20th actually we're stacking even more value we got a 
pre-event mastermind for those that want to upgrade to a VIP ticket. And we're going to add some workshops after on the Saturday, November 21st, 2020. So it could be up to four days. And we're even adding some tours of some markets and some factories in the surrounding areas. We've got some local Thai people on our team now helping us out. If this all sounds really interesting, crossbordersummit.com slash Thailand. Still haven't opened tickets as of recording, but save the dates. If you are a GFA VIP member, you will get first access and, of course, special discounted prices. So thanks again for listening to the show, and I hope to see you at the event. Okay, thank you, everybody, for tuning in to our Global From Asia podcast. Actually, Devin has been on my list of guests to get on the show for i don't know since the beginning maybe <laughs> but finally finally again it happened almost 300 shows but we have we have uh devin on the show thank you so much for coming on today awesome man thank you so much yeah i've, I've been we've been talking about this for ages and uh it's great we, we, we finally got it yeah yeah so i can't remember when we first how long ago it's 2010 11 12 something like that and uh our common friend jamin's house and then we, we, we connected there, and then we, we spent some more time at a startup weekend in Chengdu. I remember, I remember, yeah. uh, I remember that. Yeah, that was, uh, was kind of cool because uh, we met. It was definitely a Thanksgiving dinner party because Matt and Jamin used to throw those awesome yeah. expat Shenzhen dinner parties. And uh, I, I think it was either you or maybe it was Johnny G or maybe it was uh, John, John Gallinger, if you remember. Uh, he, was, he was around town for a while, and uh, somehow, somehow we all we – all Kind of managed to connect there, great. And then, uh, and then in Chengdu, you were there for Startup Weekend, and then I was there on business. Okay. And somehow we we'd gotten introduced, and we we were at the Bookworm. Remember? Yeah. The, the Chengdu Bookworm. Yeah, I remember you were you were yeah, you had been there. I mean, I think it was my first time to Chengdu, so you were yeah. like you were showing me around a bit. It was fun, and uh, even then, especially now, you have so many stories, which <laughs> which is always the fun part of Asia or China especially, um, which we'll talk about today, but it seems like it's, you know, I, 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 uh, I'm excited about your, your campaign you're working on, your book, Wild, Wild East Story. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, just, I just labeled it New Wild West, but we'll, we'll, we'll jump into it in a minute. It's, uh, okay. it's, it's, it's the same thing like what you're talking about. It's always fun to be able to just, you know, sort of post that period in, in, in your life as I guess it's kind of the same for a lot of us who lived in China a long time yeah. and we kind of we're kind of like like past that that real almost wild phase of the way that China was and in the way that that you know how it's kind of shifted with the technology changing and now it's fun to get to the chance to reminisce and go back you know you, you meet people who kind of came to China after doing their MBA degree for a year in 2015 and you just go, man, it was so different before I came here. I mean, especially now, I remember we had talked about it even a few years ago. You said you were in Shanghai and they're all yeah. like corporate guys, foreigners now with like talking in English everywhere. Basically like not even feeling like the China experience. Yeah. The French quarter, you may as well be in somewhere in Southern California and half the, half the areas. I mean, it's, uh, uh, it's funny. It, it reminds me uh, the the two sim- most similar places I found were uh, if you're in Hong Kong in Wan Chai, but on the old Wan Chai side, so like Queens Road East, back by Pacific Place Three. Oh all yeah. All the French investment there. banks are there. Yeah. So if you come out at like ten or eleven o'clock uh, by by Pacific Place Three Tower, 
in the morning you usually see like a bunch of French bankers all sitting there like having their espressos and smoking their cigarettes and you know yeah. talking with each other and hearing French spoken all day and then that that's a lot of parts of the French Quarter in Shanghai these days like you're saying you'll kind of come down and people who they're working will be outside and you know you, you may as well be in in some part of the U.S. or some part of France for at least for that little snippet in the direction yeah. you're looking. <laughs> Yeah, but you're quite the opposite. I mean, you're flu. I'd say flu. You'll probably be more modest, but you speak really, really good Mandarin and Cantonese. I've seen it myself many times. Um, and I think you said you you spent a year in Shenyang, where my wife's hometown. So we also were reconnecting on that before the interview. But yeah, but yeah I got I mean, to thank you for for sharing for for sharing your story going up to Shenyang on the podcast because I hadn't thought about Shenyang and ages it'd been so long since i since i went back there i went it was one of the first places i lived in china for more than a year i studied abroad there at Nanning university yeah and uh and really that was my first kind of deep dive into into mainland china living there and so it, it was cool when you were talking about it showing some videos i started thinking back i was like wow that's i was like you're you're really in the uh, you're really in the heartland now when you get up to cities like shenyang it's, Definitely. it's, it's not shenzhen I, yeah i mean some people are saying i should stick around because my chinese you know you have to basically there's no english there right there's no french quarter or shanghai bar area anywhere there you, you know it's it's so funny there, there's a there's a district in shenyang called shita and and in and in that in there there used to be like a north, a south, and an east and a west ta, like a little pagoda around the around the old the old city capital of Shita, the western pagoda has become this ethnic Korea town. Oh yeah, because, I think I because all Korean all of town. that that northern part of China, the northeastern part, it's 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 probably the most one of the most multi ethnic, multicultural parts of China, although it's not not always obviously on its face like that. And Koreans, ethnic Koreans, make up a huge portion of the population. And yeah, we would, we were, we were always, always there. It's one of the late night spots. You go get your Korean barbecue, you go get your soju, and you go to karaoke yeah. and stuff like that. Was and that's where the university students would go hanging out back when we were, when we were there. So great, yeah. I mean, yeah, it I remember it was a fun spot. Yeah, it's definitely true. It's, they, we didn't say yeah, but Dongbei, which is east north or northeast of China, the chicken head, right? It's the head of the chicken. I always yep. think <laughs> of the China country. The brain of the chicken. The brain. I don't know about that one. Uh, that's, that's going too far, maybe, but uh, <laughs> northeast. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I mean, I think today there's so many stories and I just like maybe, you know, you put some on your blog, we'll link that up, we'll link to your, uh, your campaign and everything you're doing, but where, where, where's, uh, you know, the new, the new wild west, you know, I guess that's why, I don't know about you, but that's why I came, you know, the, the calling of opportunity, the calling of, you know, uh, new, new, new chances, you know, I guess maybe like my ancestors came from Europe to America. Is that what you mean with the new Wild West kind of idea? Or? Uh, a little bit. I mean, there was definitely a, an element of that. And, and through, the, through the 90s and, and through the early 2000s, when, when guys like us, you know, we talk like we're old timers a little bit. But really, there was the whole generation, two, two generations of hand, China hands before us that were even older old timers who saw other parts of the transition. But I, th I think, you know, at our time, we still kind of caught that last wave of this this transition where you know it was 
China was never the Wild West in the sense of it was lawless. There was always laws. There was always mm. rules. But then as China transitioned its economy, things had to change. And, and the way they changed, the way they got implemented, just created this vacuum of experiences sometimes where people came, at least for me, I met people that came for all different reasons. You know, about the only type of person I ever really met in China was the stereotypical kind of Asia-file person. You know, uh -huh. like the person who would study Japanese and be in anime and then just kind of like uh -huh. end up in, in China. I, uh -huh. You know, most of the, uh, maybe in Beijing or Shanghai, there were some more of them, but in places like Shenyang, it was more like, oh, I'm working to as the regional factory output manager and I need to go live here for two years to inspect our, you know, JV partner. Or, or oh, you know, I've, I'm here doing my research on some esoteric part of Chinese history for this one period and this is where I need to be. And so it was always kind of a, of a eclectic mix of people compared to, you know, for college age individuals like ourselves, when we, when we first came out there, you know, your, your, your friends, your classmates were, if they liked Asia, it was Jap Japanese, it was maybe Korean a couple of years later, and, and you were kind of the oddball as for making China as a destination. So I liked that. You know, there, there was this element of, of a Wild West because of this vacuum created in, in the context of overlapping and changing uh, regulatory and economic systems. There was also that that weird sort of laissez-faire, lots of people from lots of different places coming in to, to try and and, and do something in the context of that. And I just, yeah, as, as I, as I left China and Hong Kong and moved back here to LA, I was just thinking about it and I was just going, you know, I'm sure lots of people have lots of stories about, about their time living there. You know, it's we're, we're, the two of us are hardly the only Americans mm -hmm. or foreign people in general who moved to China and live. But that being said, we both have had lots of experiences and observed a lot firsthand what yeah. it's like. And, it, and, if, and if we were a high school kid now from the U.S. who went on like an exchange program to China for a summer, what they will see is completely different than what we would have seen, than what somebody else before us would have seen. True, true. And so, you know, that snippet of time as things change, you know, it reminded me kind of of the real Wild West, the, that, that snippet of time where people live like the Wild West. There was a before and an after, and it was the, the real Wild West in America was more of a transitionary phase as well. Okay. And that's what really got that you know, came to mind when I was thinking about it. Okay, great. Yeah, I mean, it's totally true. Uh, we also were just joking a little bit, but it's, you know, about the French Quarter of Shanghai or Wan Chai, Hong Kong. But even back then, there was differences of what part of China or Asia you ended up. And I have to admit, I was the ignorant American before I came. I, I even said it yesterday in the Philippines event. I said I kind of mixed up Philippines and China when I was American in the U.S. Like, I, I didn't know, like, you know, uh, all these differences, but especially in China, like talking about Shenyang, Shanghai, Hong Kong, those mm -hmm. are all far apart and, and, and totally like kind of different experiences, even at the same time, even the same years uh, that we were there, there were different perspectives. Oh, no, for sure. Like, you, you know, it's, it's, I, I think, I think for me, definitely the, 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 the grounding in education about sort of Asia for most Americans really in, in that high school level really just wasn't there. You know, you had your world history class once and a lot of things happened all around the world. And that was that. Okay. Back to, you know, back to your regular subject. So, so what context do you have to, to, to understand the region? I had a little bit of an advantage because I grew up in Hawaii. 
So, you know, if you say the Philippines specifically in Hawaii, we know where the Philippines is. I mean, that's the kind of sister territories yeah. in, in a lot of sense, historically as well as culturally. And there's a lot of crossover in that. But then, you know, you know, that same comment doesn't hold true for Xi'an or <laughs> Lanzhou or Taiyuan or somewhere like that. You know, that may as well you know, be throwing a, throwing a dart at a dartboard blindfolded to, to see. True, so true. it was that same process as you showed up and you just, you just started to learn. And back then, you know, China's internet had, by the time I was there, China had the internet and it was still way more open than it was now. You could get your Google and your Facebook and everything. Yeah, back then it worked. Which, <laughs> which is, which is weird to think about, but you know, even then there wasn't that great of information everywhere you didn't really have youtube yet back then and stuff and so i think they blocked youtube when i was there it was youtube was blocked but yeah. google worked and facebook worked for a while while i was still there but facebook YouTube i just got really mad at youtube because they made there. videos yeah. like i guess there was a lot of videos they didn't like so no uh, that happened i mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know it was uh yeah it was it was weird like just back in those days the way that you met people was by you know, first connecting through kind of local expat communities or maybe through your work or through your school, getting to meet a couple of classmates. And it was, it was just an interesting way. You kind of had to organically feel your way through it back then. Mm -hmm. And yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm the same. Like uh, I've said it too. Like you, I got, I got my information about China business, like at bars with expats and like crazy chain smoking KTV Chinese businessmen. Like, and I had to balance the two because the Chinese businessmen would say, you don't need to do that. That's a waste of money. You don't need to pay the tax. You don't need to file this paper. And then, but the expat businessman I met at the, and in, in the in Macaulay's, you know, in the Irish pub, he's like, you've got to take this serious. You can get deported. You got to file everything correctly. You got to yep. have a company. You got to hire people legally. And I got the Chinese guy like, that doesn't matter, man. Just pay him cash and don't have a company here. And it's like, I'm like, I was trying to like balance these two extremes. You know, that's how I learned China business. You know, my, my first, my first introduction to some of the ways that this worked, uh, it, it was, it was at school. Right. And so we were exchange students at, at the outdoor, like I was saying. And, uh, we were the first group of exchange students from America at, at Liaoning University. Okay. They had some foreign exchange students. So they'd had some German students. They, they, they had a lot of Russian students coming down, as, as I'm sure you've seen in, in the Northeast. Yeah, There's a lot yeah, of Russian a influence. Lot of and Russians in the 50s, a lot of the people who were in school in the 50s, back when China and Russia, when Mao and Stalin were still kind of close together before they split, they all learned Russian instead of okay. English because that's where okay. they were. So... So there were, there, there were foreigners, but they, uh, for Americans, we were, we were kind of the first group that, that had ever come to the university to, on an exchange. And so the systems in the school didn't match up, right? So, so, so right away, our curriculum that our, our Chinese teacher in, in, in Oregon had put together for us to, to go study, you know, very, very painstakingly laid out and careful. Yeah. <laughs> now, Ning University was his alma mater, so that's how he, he'd bridged the connection for us to be there. And uh, we showed up at the, at the, the transcript registration office, you know, the, the, the administrative office where you go get yourself registered for courses and all that stuff. And they didn't have a functioning computer. Everything was done on typewriters and little, like, like 
almost like a like receipt type paper, you know, like, like wax paper where you fold it apart and you keep a copy. And we showed up and they looked there like, oh well, yeah, we don't have anything registered. You know, we don't know what we're going to do. And, and my friend and I who came with me, what? So, so are we supposed to, they go, oh yeah, you know, you got to pay your fees. And if you pay your fees, then you can take your course. So eventually after like three or four days of discussing, you know, of having one of our professor's friends from the U S talk to talk to somebody else, they eventually came back and they were like, oh, okay, okay. We've got it sorted now. Here you go. And they handed us our actual transcripts to us <laughs> at the beginning of the semester. And we went, we didn't do class yet. And then, oh no, 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 it's no problem. It's through there. And we went, so we just take this then and, and we go to class like, yeah, yeah, don't worry. You know, it's, it's all okay. We, your help, your, your professor helped us. So basically we got a whole free semester. Wow. There you go. <laughs> I mean, it worked. I speak Chinese. So it, I, I got what, I, <laughs> what yeah. I out of it, but that whole, that whole sort of like disorganized front of the way things happen. That was, that was, it. you know, we got off the plane and we thought, okay, well, we're two students, you know, there's a program, this are things. We used to have uh, the foreign student dormitory. They used to bicycle chain the doors shut at night uh, against fire, fire code violations, right? But they, they, they said it was to protect the foreign students. They didn't <laughs> want anybody coming in or out. But all we had to do, we figured out pretty quick, was to buy a pack of like Marlboros, you know, one of those big long, long things. Yeah, and when the little yeah. guard in front who had the bike lock, he wouldn't register us. All we do is give him a pack of Marlboros and so he could just repack of cigarettes each night. And then it was like an open door for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> that oh, was that. Like all those, all those type of things were just like the ways that we, that we got around stuff and, and, and how it worked. And yeah, you know, that, that grounding when you first land in the country and go, it's, it, it would have been different if you were at like, Beijing University or something like Fudan University down in Shanghai or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was probably imagine. like that in like the in like the late eighties or the early nineties. Yeah. But then because those are very well known universities and very you know seeking of international recognition, they 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 put a lot of their systems in place earlier. But when you went to Shenyang, even in the early two thousands, that just wasn't a destination. People, you know, it was you you were in a backwater. You were in a place that that wasn't the attractive spot for foreigners to go to, which again, I think it benefited studying the language. I don't think it did you any benefit to go network with a bunch of rich kids at Beijing university who want to study their English. Yeah. Might've you know, politically, maybe business wise. Sure. Maybe you build a couple of relationships that would last you through time. You know, that I'm not saying that, but to learn the language, you know, most of my classmates in Shenyang, None of, uh, none of them were the, you know, the Korean classmates, for example, they, they, they failed their English test. That's why they ended up studying Chinese and coming Jeez. from Korea to Shenyang. Yeah. You know, so, so for them, they, they, you know, the only way for the Korean, the ethnic Koreans could talk to the Koreans in Korean, obviously. But the only way they could talk to anyone else was to learn Chinese. So mm-hmm. even amongst our, our classmates, we had to speak Chinese to God. each other just to, just to do our homework, just to, to, to communicate, to make friends. Which for the first like three months we had this weird patois. It was almost like something out of like old Macau, where everybody's speaking a different language and sort of hammering that into some kind of patois that everyone understands. Yeah, but eventually, you know, proper Chinese started to take over, and that and that, I think that really in the end did contribute a lot to to being more comfortable speaking and and, and working in it. Because what choice did you have, right? I'm sure. I know. I mean, yeah. yeah, if everybody around you can only speak Chinese. I mean, I spent some time in Dongguan with some factories and that's also when my Chinese accelerated because I, I had nobody to speak English with. So I had yeah. to uh, do that to get food and to like not get 
<laughs> like not get in trouble at a nightclub when I like danced with a girl that was some um, mafia guys, like girlfriend or boss, wife and wanted, you know, <laughs> I had, that's when I started to find figuring out my Chinese. So, uh, <laughs> oh, Dong Guan. Oh, Dong Guan. <laughs> I don't think the world's going to see another place like Dong Guan again. I don't know. Yeah, maybe somewhere, gone, maybe but... somewhere in Nigeria or something now. <laughs> I don't know. But like, <laughs> I don't yeah. know. that city. That. Yeah. Did, the, did anybody ever drag you to the Prince Hotel, the Wangzhou Fandian in in uh, Dongguan? I don't think so. It was it was this gigantic like six story monstrosity full of like just just labyrinth of karaoke rooms and saunas oh, and that other thing. Oh oh man, it was that, that whole place was crazy. All right, let's go to the next topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The the Jews of Kaifeng. What? This is one of your blogs. You know, the descendants of local Chinese Jews. I don't know if you want to share. Yeah. That. So when I, when I was studying in Shenyang, I got a grant. Uh, I can't remember what it was. It, it was something like, it wasn't a Rhodes Scholar grant, but it was an equivalent type of like a, a study program where you get a grant to do some, some, some special research and, and, and you put a project together and you go, you go deliver it back in like a series of seminars and, and stuff. So I, I, sorry, it's been a long time. I don't remember what, what it was, okay. but that was the idea. And so for me, uh, you know, I'm 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 part Jewish. My background, my from my from, from my family side, and so I was just doing some research, and I learned that there are are and have been ethnic Jews in China since the Song Dynasty or, or before. I mean, they some of them followed the Silk Road into China, and and they intermarried. They they, they look like Hui Muslims. You know, their their facial features are all Chinese by now, but but you know, at a family cultural background, they still follow kind of their, their own lineage. And I'd heard about that in the, you know, I, I just told you about the weird transcript registration system. Mm -hmm. Well, one of my, one of my good friends uh, was Australian and they were at the end of their high school term. So, you know, in their summer period, they came to China for a year as their, their, their gap year and they got to spend a year in China. Well, this is a really great friend of mine. Um, he's actually going to contribute some stories to the book too. The two of us are we're, we're back in touch now, so <laughs> he's got his notes on this stuff also. So we're gonna we're gonna hopefully be able to get some of these some of these stories back. Great. In the summer, we decided we were going to travel, and as for me to do part of my project, which revolved around trying to understand and research these ethnic Jews living in China, we said, well, why don't we make our way to the city of Kaifeng, where they were supposed to be? And, and we'll do it. So we decided we would leave for two and a half. Well, it was almost three months in the end. Uh, we just left. We, we, we didn't so much ask permission. We just told our teachers, yeah, we're, we're going to go. And we did. <laughs> and, and, and we met up in Dalian. He went a few days before. He was, uh, he was dating a, a Russian girl living down in Dalian. And you okay. know that Russian quarter in Dalian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I spent some time there. Yeah, and he, he uh, so we uh, he went he went a few days before, and then and then I and then I, I caught up with him in Dalian, and and we started, and we for like two and a half, almost three months, we basically just backpacked our way from the northern part of China all the way slowly through different provinces until we finally had Hainan, right. and one of the main stops was was in Kaifeng, and uh, and so when we got to Kaifeng. We got our goal. We said we're going to go find these Chinese Jews, and we're going to we're going to learn whatever we can about them. Now, if you go online and you research, uh, especially with with the state of Israel, you know, sort of over the last few years, trying to breach closer economic relations with China and that thing, there, there, there's been a lot more 
academic research and also sort of religious organizational approach to 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 help uh, bring some of these ethnic Jews to Israel to learn more about mm -hmm. their heritage. So so there is some of that stuff now, but this this was back you know in the early two thousands. People there were a couple of scholarly articles written from some journals that had had published about it, but really this was something. This was a very small kind of esoteric bit of Chinese studies and. Yeah, we, we found him. If you read the story, it, it was uh, it was pretty wild. We we didn't expect to do it. Uh, we had no idea what we were doing. <laughs> you know, armed with you know student university student levels of Chinese, uh, you know, just sort of bouncing around and that's crazy. Uh, Hunan Pro Hunan province, uh, as as you well know, Hunan is kind of the butt of a lot of jokes of of, of, of Chinese people. <laughs> that, that, yeah. You know, if if you picture if you picture the northeast is sometimes characterized a little bit like the deep south of China yeah. or sometimes a little bit like kind of the Midwest, like Detroit, like hard scrabble, that kind of thing. Yeah. The, 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 the Alabama, the, like the deep hills, the backwater, that's kind of Hunan. And, and, and it's, um, so back then it was even more so than, than it is. It was even less open than it, than it is now. So yeah, just, you know, two kind of crazy college age, you know, why running around Hunan trying to find Jewish people? It was it was it was an experience. <laughs> I can imagine that. But uh, so you were you yeah. That, I mean, I'm just thinking how far Dali into yeah. Hainan. So you were doing that train car? No. So what we did is we uh, we basically did a lot of the overnight sleeper buses. Oh. Remember back in the day, they used to have yeah, those, those sleeper coach buses. Yeah, with yeah, the... and you and you'd hit a pothole and you're laying down, and all of a sudden you hit the ceiling. Yeah, so what we would do is we would we would go to a city, right, and and we'd we'd get there in the morning from the night before. We'd explore, we'd learn about it. Sometimes we didn't know where we were going a lot of the time. Right, we had a general direction. We'd we'd look at a map and we'd go like this. Any, what's your next ticket anywhere kind of within this? And then, the, you know, usually the, the ticket seller lady would be kind of laughing her ass off after seeing two foreigners speak like that. And then she'd be like, well, what about there? And we go, okay. <laughs> and, and so each, we'd get the night ticket. And then so each, each day we'd finish off. And then the evening we'd try to sleep on the sleeper bus and then show up at the city, the next city, the next day. Right. So occasionally it didn't work. Occasionally we had to get a little, a little, a little like a dormitory style sleeper room or every once in a while we got a hotel room when we couldn't find it. Some of the little towns didn't allow foreigners to stay in hotels. Back, wow. You know, they still are kind of like that, but back then they really, some of them really didn't. Yeah. So. They don't want to register with the police. The yeah. Stuff like that. You know, it was sketchy as hell in a lot of little backwater towns in China back then. So, you know, every once in a while we'd, we'd have to get a hotel when we couldn't find anywhere else. But for the most part, we were able to just kind of leapfrog every night and see a new place. Nice. And it was, yeah, I, I mean, you know, talk about a way to really see a country. <laughs> I'm sure that's an amazing way. I mean, yeah. way better than those highways, the super highways. I mean, those are expensive too. I, I don't know if they existed then, but, you know, you can drive, you know, those boring, really... Uh, worse than American highways, like just nothing. You don't see anything and just pay tolls. I've been in those. I mean, you 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 know the feeling now, right? Like back in the day in the Pearl River Delta, going between factory towns, you'd be you'd be switching cars, you'd be yeah. putting on fake license plates to get through the toll booths and doing all that great stuff. Yeah, and there's no. Nowadays, you just get on a high, you get on one highway, you can you do a yeah, whole Pearl River Delta in a day and be done. Mm -hmm. 
and they're connecting even more now. I more trains and highways, but for sure. Well, yeah. well, that, that that what's that? It's that they call it the Qingwei, that 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 light rail that connects uh, Guangzhou South to uh, Gongbei uh, Portal outside of Macau in Zhuhai. Okay. So now you can actually, you literally can take a train because it used to be the, the, the high-speed train from Hong Kong connected to Guangzhou first. And that was one of the first, you know, cross-border train connections in China. Because even Shenzhen at the time that was built was still a lot smaller than it is now. And so you could always get on that fast train from Hong Kong, you know, in two and a half hours, get to, get to Guangzhou and do your business there. But the southern side of the Pearl River Delta, there was nothing, right? There was only one bridge. It was the Humen Bridge. Mm-hmm. And God help you if you got stuck on the afternoon traffic getting across the Humen Bridge. That was, that was a couple hours <laughs> sitting there because the whole Pearl River Delta had to cross that bridge at like 3, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and that was it. <laughs> and before that, the southern side, you, there, was, uh, there, was, there was nothing. I mean, you, I remember once getting to Macau from Guangzhou. I, I had to... I was, at, I was at work in Guangzhou. We finished around like five or six on a Friday. And a buddy of mine had his band playing in, in Macau. And it was at like nine or ten. And mm-hmm. so I left from Hunyu, uh, from Hanyu, just outside of, just yeah. outside of Guangzhou. And I literally was like motorcycle and, and the, the old black licensed taxis, you know, the old unlicensed taxis. I was hopping village road to village road. I think I went through like 10 different taxi cars before, after like four or five hours, I finally ended up in Zhuhai. Yeah. And I was able to cross the border and, and, and go and go and go see part of the concert. Like it would, it was insane. Just, just like driving up to the, to the one border, switching cars, the guys mm-hmm. negotiating, right? Cause you paid your fee. So you're not going to pay any extra. So, so then they're negotiating, trying to get the best price. And you're, you know, you're, you're just like each border hopping, hopping, hopping until you can finally get down there. It was, it was, that's the way you had to organize things. It was like a time warp too. I've done similar, like Dongguan. I was between Dongguan a lot and Hong Kong for, for a year or two. And yeah, you just yeah. feel like you're going through this time lapse. You're you're like in this dirty factory. There was one time I, I was doing the e-commerce fulfillment mm-hmm. project and I had a client from UK and he, he was this like fashion guy. He came to visit us in Dongguan at the, at the e-commerce center and he's like, hey, Mike, you want to go to this fashion party with me in, uh, in uh, Long, uh, Lane Crawford and, and Elk? Mm-hmm. I'm like, all right. I'm like, but I'm in like, uh, you know, I'm in, I'm in like in dirty. At the time, I had like a hoodie and jeans. He's like, no problem. So we just went, you know, we drove to the factory van, you know, then dropped you here in a taxi. And then we had to cross yeah, yeah. the road and we had to take a subway. And then, and then I'm in this like posh, high-end fashion networking party oh that's my that's my like give me a second hold on it's okay it's okay so basically yeah i was like totally and then they thought i was like some mark zuckerberg i don't know if you can still hear me but they thought i was like mark zuckerberg because i had like a like a gray hoodie on and jeans and this fashion party (laughs) (laughs) totally i mean that that, those are the type of things and and you know you, you got that all across the country pretty much pretty much everywhere. Everything functioned like that for so long until not quite overnight, but it kind of felt like overnight. It didn't. And, and, you know, the highways got connected. Uh, First credit card payments became a thing and everybody got credit cards. Cause I remember for a long time, you wouldn't dare, even a domestic Chinese credit card, if you had one, you wouldn't dare spend it in any shop. You you were guaranteed to lose whatever money was or credit was attached to that account. I know. know. And then, and then slowly it became a real thing. 
And then almost just as quickly as it became a real thing, you know, WeChat got launched. Yep. <laughs> you know, QQ was a big thing way before WeChat, yeah, and, and that didn't forever. have payments and stuff. And then, and then all the it, so quickly it went from this kind of just not disorganized, but almost again, I always viewed it as 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 just just disparate systems. There's these all these legacy ways of doing things that will get piled on top of each other, and then all of a sudden in a stroke, it's like, okay, that's gone. Now everything's going to be ordered and do it this way. Right. And, and you know, you, you just, you scratch your head sometimes. You go, well, it changed so fast that, that you know, it'd be sad if, if we really lost something about how the old way, you know, and how it used to work. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I miss the old times. I think uh, it's kind of going to the next point. We're getting towards the end. There's so yeah. much, I mean, so much to talk about. But the well, few- we, we, can, we can do this for hours. I, mean. I know, we can go on forever. <laughs> but, I mean, we also, you know, I'm sure – you know, I'm looking forward to reading your 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 book with your campaign. We'll definitely, definitely. Too, but maybe what do you see? So yeah, it's all these rapid changes, and it kind of got rid of a lot of the old expats. I feel, and the new expats coming. I guess there was multiple generations. But what do you see the next? I guess I don't know if you want to pick Asia or China specifically, but what do you see in the future? I don't know, five, ten, fifty years. I mean, maybe give us some insights. What do you see happening? Continue. Is it gotta keep going like what we're seeing? Let me let me think about how to how to answer it because I feel you know you know you're like me we we both you know have had more than just business relations in China we we've yeah. had friends family we yeah. you, know, you, you know things it there's an element to to China I think that. That, that, that you enjoy and that you love and you respect more than that, that goes much deeper than just pure. Okay. This is business. Let's go make money. And it, it's a false, you know, it, it's an easy thing because, because China can be very mercantile. It can be very transactional. Uh, you know, a lot of Chinese people themselves in their relationships can be very kind of transactional when you compare that to the way that Americans or Europeans might talk about things. It's not though. That's a, that's a little bit of a disingenuous way to, to to put it. On the surface, it can seem like that at times, coming from our our perspectives, but it's not. And you know, I I think that you know elements of family and 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 who are who are people. I don't think that that ever is going to change. And I think for people that love China, you love it. You don't love it for all the political and economic changes and all the discussions, there's something deeper about why you love it. And, and, and that revolves around people and the people you've met and the people you build your relationships around. And, and I don't think regardless of what happens, that'll, that'll ever end up changing. Mm. That being said, the other, the context in which people live and how they live their lives has changed dramatically. And uh, for me, I, 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 China is a very, it's, it's a very uncertain place right now, longer term. And there are elements of the way that China has been changing that I, that I like to see. I, I like to see the fact that laws are, you know, theoretically getting more clearly enforced and more regularly enforced. I mean, again, why do so many Chinese try to send their kids overseas to study? I mean, you know, you can argue propaganda wise that no, that's not the case and our universities are going up and all that stuff. But you know, there's more Chinese students than ever before in the U S right now. So, you know, LA is, 
how yeah, it's pretty much Chinese speaking in a lot of in some of the districts now compared to when I was younger. So so it, it's uh you, you know you, you can make arguments, but at the same time there are reasons why those trends happen, and I I don't know I I I try to I try to be an optimistic person, but at the same time. You know, we were talking about with coronavirus a little bit earlier before we got yeah. started. Just, just you know, you see some of those same patterns of, of the way the system is covers up handle one. things. Yeah. And, you know, so so what's going to happen there? Uh, I, I I don't know with China specifically. What I think it means for the rest of Asia, you know, I think China's economic and political power rise drove the rest of Asia to get its act together. And it did that in a few ways. I think in some ways, you know, in some countries like like Japan, uh, and uh, it, to a lesser extent in uh, you know places like like South Korea or Taiwan or some other areas, uh, places that were more economically developed, I, I think they 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 looked at a mix of like benefit and, and threat that was caused by China's rise, and and it forced them to kind of kind of change. Japan benefited greatly. I mean, you know, in the '90s, uh, you know, from Hawaii, we would visit Japan and see things. And in the in the '90s, you know, that was the doldrums of the Japanese economy. Like when I was a kid in Hawaii, we had the whole economy collapse. I mean, I mean, in the Big Island, we got wiped out mm. when the Japanese financial crisis hit. Like, you know, whole hotels were derelict for ten years, sitting along the coastline along Ali Drive. Like, so we we saw that. Right. It was you, you saw it in a lot of places. Australia saw it in Hawaii. We saw the Japanese financial crisis like it, it hit hard. And the you know, when when Chinese started spending money in Japan again, there, you know, naturally the economy started to pick up and people then as the economy picked up, you know, younger people are always going to invest and in, in be entrepreneurs and make their own businesses, too. And things things start to change. Mm. And I think China drove a lot of good change like that. I think China also played statecraft. And you see that more in Southeast Asia. You see that in the Philippines a lot with kind of the, the, the Chinese class of wealthy Filipinos kind of kind of latching on to China as a, as, a, as a source and a business partner. And, you know, to sometimes to the benefit of, you know, other classes of Filipinos, sometimes to the detriment. Mm. Same things going on in Cambodia, down in Thailand. You, you, you see this, 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 this great China entering the great game trying to shift its power by using money and resources to lasso these economies in. And, you know, again, on one hand, you've got amazing changes in wealth across all of Asia. And on the other hand, you've got the rise of conflicts like the South China Sea and, and, and how do we define international law in this new, in this new rising state. And, and so I think as, as China's economy and its, its, its system starts to see some pretty, some pretty intense, uh, you know, conflict derive around it. I think a lot of these regional Asia economies are also going to to kind of solidify and move. And and as 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 foreigners, as investors, as entrepreneurs, as, as people like ourselves, I think you know, sort of not being stuck in the in the ways that we would do things before become really valuable. Uh, look at yourself. You spend a lot more time in the Philippines now. There's there's things going on there. There's there's, there's stuff happening. Yeah, all the South Southeast, Southeast Asia. There was a ton Vietnam. There's a lot of stuff happened. going on. Yeah. Will that last ten years? Like, like is is it the beginning of a of a wave now that that got its first starting power from sort of Chinese money, 
or is it Chinese money starts to shrink back and then 10 years later, money in South East Asia mm-hmm. starts to shrink back? We don't know. Yeah. Right? You, you, you never really know. You can read about it. You can understand it. But ultimately, if you're somebody who is not being an academic, if you're somebody who's, who's, who's making an investment and putting years of your life, really even more than money, you know, doing the next 10 years of your life in an area trying to figure it out, those are the type of gambles and choices you got to make, right? And you follow those big trends and then you look at the little opportunities that are created and you kind of move in. So, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I think, I think uh, in the big broad context, I think the center of wealth from the East Coast to the West Coast of the U.S., has, has already begun its shift and that'll continue shifting. You know, I, and I think, I, I think we'll, we'll see kind of the old European bits of wealth will, 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 will kind of stay clustered around where they are. And I think in, in the U.S. that there's really going to be that, that polit- political wealth gravity shift towards the West Coast and business from the West Coast and, and from the Western seaboard to Asia will be a, a big driver of where the world's wealth kind of aligns itself over the next 50 to 100 years. So that big, that big kind of Atlantic towards Pacific shift, I think, is, is definitely happening. It's underway. And, you know, regionally, what, is that, what does that mean? Because, you know, the U.S. and Canada are Pacific powers, too. So I think there's going to be way more micro-opportunities coming into place between North America and distinct markets in Asia. So, mm-hmm. you know, like Taiwan to L.A., Ho Chi Minh to Seattle, Interesting. you know, uh, yeah. you know, Bangkok to San Francisco, like, like these kind of, no, but I mean, look, you're, you do digital nomad stuff, man. Like, yeah. you know, Chiang Mai to Bangkok, like, like yeah, it it's not crazy. Like, it, you know, you 15 years ago, you might not have thought about it, but now I don't think you can ignore it if you really want to find that next kind of latent opportunity to get into. So for me, I'm using the time back in LA as a, as a, a chance to kind of reflect on these things and really align and look and say, well, where's, where are some of the, the, the new things? I think, I think, you know, guys like you guys like me, we, we've had the, we've had the, the fortune, the good fortune to be able to spend our lives, you know, in a different place and, and, and understand both what that means to spend our lives in, in Asia, to understand a bit about the differences in regionally in Asia and the different cultural contexts that can come in. But also we've, we've had a chance to, to break out of our own kind of single way of, uh, of viewing something from North America and, and experience that on the ground somewhere else. And we could do it again. If we, if we did it once, we could do it again. So if that next spot pops up in East Africa over the next 10 years, you know, again, it's, it's, it, you know, it, it's, 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 you know, one more time back on the horse, it's the same, it's the same ride, but we, we've lived through that once. And then now if we can leverage that old experience and, and take that into something new, I think, you know, it's, it's an adventure and that's what you look forward to doing. Yeah, I agree, man. This is exciting. And uh, I mean, there's lots to talk about. I, I want to make sure we spend some time talking about your campaign, you know, this book, what, yeah. what what's the story here? So, uh, yeah, so, you know, like I, like I was saying, I, I started this uh, project to get some of these stories written down and collected, uh, mainly so that I could share. I mean, my viewpoint is not definitive. There's many, many viewpoints, and, and a lot of people have had more experiences than me, And but I, I, I did have my experiences, and I saw them and learned 
from them the way I did, and and I figured, you know what, it's it's high time I I use this I use this opportunity to put them together, and uh, at the same time I said, well, what's a what's an interesting way that I can keep myself engaged to do it because as you also know you've published a bunch of books yourself which mm-hmm. are really great by the way I loved I loved the uh, the oh. gladiator that uh, oh thanks buddy the, what, what was the title again uh, the e-commerce gladiator uh, e-commerce gladiator it was fantastic man that was re- really well done and uh, oh. so so but you know how challenging it can be when you're doing other stuff to get yourself like motivated to actually uh, <laughs> really, 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 really get in there really and so that that's that's where my GoFundMe came for I was like well you know, one, I hadn't really done a crowdsourcing campaign myself before. So I was like, well, let me learn how to do it. I said, two, I have this project. I really want to get it done. I want to put it out there to share with people. How do I, how do I get myself motivated? And, and how do I set goals for myself and make myself do it? And, and this was a great way to, to approach that. And then three, how do I, you know, if, if, if I can get people excited, if I can find out who likes it, who wants to support me, if there's something they can share or something to go on, you know, I'm not asking for a lot of donations. I, I, I'm just, I'm just asking for if people like it and this is something there, you know, if you contribute back in also people who've got stories, I want to invite them to kind of come in and share them as well. And, and just, just see what I can build around that, that whole sort of community aspect of putting a campaign together okay. and seeing Great. what I can drive. And that, that's what I did. Exciting, man. So, all right. Um, and then we'll link it up on the show notes. Is there other website, uh, websites or, I mean, other? Uh, there there is. There's, I mean, I, I put together a little Wix page. To be okay. honest, I haven't. I bought a domain. Uh, yeah, we got to help you. I saw it. I think it was wildwestasia.com, but I haven't even connected it yet. Yeah. So why don't Why don't we just use the GoFundMe page for now, okay. and then I'll yeah. just keep people informed as I, as I do this. And uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for you know inviting me on the on the show. I awesome. I, I love it. I do, I do follow all your all your vlogs and, oh, wow. and where you go. It's uh thanks it's fun. Me. I can't wait till we can get back together again. Uh, I know probably, it's been a while now. I look forward yeah, to it. Yeah, a couple of months. So probably probably a few more months. We'll see. I'm yeah, at. Uh, I'm going to be in Honolulu at East Meets West at the conference. Oh, uh, actually, I'm on a panel with Casey. Oh, our friend Casey. Yeah, Casey, Casey and I are going to be on a panel together uh, uh, end of the month, so so late next week, uh, talking about some similar topics like okay. changes in Asia. Because you saw what happened with Rise and everything this year. And, yeah. And all they, that. So we're, 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 sharing our, we're sharing our stories with the fallout of uh, economics in Hong Kong and all these issues. So. It's going to be exciting. Uh, if you haven't heard of it, East Meets West uh, 2020, uh, the Hawaii's, uh, Hawaii's Venture Conference. So, yeah, we'll, we'll have some fun. Yeah, I'm taking some notes to make sure we link it for people to find. But thanks, thanks so much, Devin, again. Cool. Thanks a lot, Mike. Enjoy all these guests and all this stuff happening. And want to even get more? GFAVIP.com is our private community been working actually since 2016 we've had a little bit of a membership but we've in the new year in 2020 we've upgraded a forum we've upgraded the calls we're doing different styles and so far it's been people have been really enjoying it so if you like what we're doing you want to get to know us a little bit more we have private forum with private groups even we have these little mini mastermind groups where it's just a few people inside we do some calls we have courses we have private little meetup events happening if this sounds cool to you check it out it's a paid 
paid service and it supports the show gfavip.com thank you for considering it thanks Devin. really cool to have that uh little capture of history from you and I wish you all the best with your book. Of course, if you're listening and you enjoyed that or you enjoy this, you want to support. I don't know if I put twenty-five or fifty dollars. I did that also with some other, some other guests to have their crowdfunding on there. Every dollar counts. You know, I always want to see these books and these projects get me to life. Check it out on the website. We do have a website. Some of you, like Peter, I was talking to you, know, listener and friend of mine, and support what we do here with our events and everything, and previous guest Peter Chong and he was saying he didn't even know we had a website or doesn't check the website just listen to our iTunes show or his whatever podcast feed he's listening to but we have a huge website globalformation.com and we spent quite a bit of time making these show notes and links of what we can on that so it might show up also in your podcast reader but we try to link to different things so if you enjoy this episode 293 there's a link to the show notes there and I am uh, I am mentally and physically exhausted, if you have to know. And Valentine's Day, well, Chinese people don't follow, follow it, but my Valentine's Day will just be chilling in my one-bedroom apartment in Manila, Philippines, maybe do a video call with a wife and kids and wave to them again. But I hope you, well, that Valentine's will be over when this show goes online, but I hope you enjoyed that with your loved one or loved ones or other uh carrying people around you but uh the plan for me is i'm on the fence still but still sitting tight here in manila working hard making deals making businesses and uh wife is you know stronger than me honestly she's like don't worry we're okay do what you gotta do but uh that's why she's amazing and I am going to try to get some rest, but I have been honestly waking up naturally at 3.30 a.m. every day. Like, I just open my eyes and it's like 3.30 or 4 a.m. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Anyway, sometimes I go back to sleep, sometimes I actually stay up. I woke Today, actually, I this Thursday, I woke up at 4 a.m. and I just got out of bed and started working. There's so much work for content. I mean, I'm doing content for Goldmesia, Mike's blog... A little bit of Alpha Rock stuff, newsletters, and other content there, webinars, private, you know, it's just so much stuff. We got a private forum at gfavip.com, built out a huge site there. Content, 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 content. It's truly a content machine here. And I do that usually in my mornings, you know, get up at 5.30 a.m. normally with the alarm, but now it's been 4 a.m., 4.30, 3.30 once in a while getting old maybe (laughs) i'm waking up and just still going to sleep at the same time i don't know seven hours of sleep anyway thank you for listening episode 293 over now and we got amazing guests lined up coming out already a few great ones and i'm really excited to share and if you guys appreciate it you know you can consider our membership consider our events you know just send a little thank you message to us or share this with your friends get the word out about global from asia Thanks again. Talk to you later. To get more info about running an international business, please visit our website at www.globalfromasia.com. That's www.globalfromasia.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Thanks for tuning in.